All right, guys, Leo Cannell here with today's Seven Figures Club podcast. And today, my friends, we've got a gentleman here who has an amazing story. His name is Troy Bouchard. He is a rare breed, a true polymath, a successful seven-figure entrepreneur, author, coach, and multiple business owner. He's the creator and founder of his own email platform, mobile learning app-based platform, and social and community platform. Troy is a brash contrarian with a nuclear engineering background, yet he focuses <laughs> on simplicity. He's a consummate content creator and teacher, writes a book every month. Wow, that's amazing. He writes a book every month. Through his memoirs of mastery program, he hosts dozens of hours of coaching per month and runs an offshore development team out of Brazil overseeing various software endeavors. Troy, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Good to be here. Good to be here, Leo. Thanks for having me. So we always like to begin to kind of find out a little bit more about your background. Our audience is uh, entrepreneurs, startups, you know, side hustlers who are looking to build their empire and create wealth and freedom for their family and also make a positive impact. But as you as we look back to, you know, who was Troy in high school? What was what was Troy like and what were some of the factors, you know, in your background as uh, as a child growing up that you think maybe led you to entrepreneurship? Yeah, you know, I was always very independent and uh, into tech, a little bit of a geek. When I was young, when I was 10 years old, my 18-year-old sister was killed. And it uh, led me on to just a very independent route. I went to private boarding schools, moved out of home, never really lived at home after I was about 13. I ended up going internationally to exchange programs and came back from that and went into the Navy. So I just, I had this uh, burning desire of independence and, and freedom and my own kind of lifestyle from a very, very young age. And honestly, I give my sister a lot of credit for that because she kind of inspired me. I went to my first uh, private school in uh, my freshman year in high school because she had been there and I wanted to kind of connect with my sister a little bit, having lost her at such an early age. And so I started off on that path. And once I got a taste of being out on my own, I just loved it. And so it just continued further and further down that, that rabbit hole. Perfect. Yeah, I feel like that's, that's similar for a lot of us entrepreneurs. We crave at the deepest you know, desires and levels freedom and the freedom of choice, the freedom to control our life, the freedom to make as much money as we want, to work as hard as we want and get what we earn uh, versus you know, going down another path where you know, you, you don't have those types of opportunities and freedom. So you talked about uh, traveling to, you know, different uh, countries. What were some of those countries that you visited and how did that kind of uh, affect the way you saw the world? Because for me, I, I lived in South America for a couple of years and I know that that huh? definitely brought a different perspective that I think a lot of people growing up in the U.S., especially those of us born here, maybe don't understand. 
Yeah, absolutely. I went down to Brazil at 16 as an exchange student and speak fluent Portuguese to this day. My wife and family are Brazilian and my children are dual nationals. So uh, it's a big part of, of my foundation and my culture having gone down there. I've lived over 10 years down in Brazil on and off and uh, had residency down there and, and still maintain a residence there as well. So it's something that had a huge impact on my life going uh, international, because I think it gives you a completely different perspective. As you've said, uh, most of the countries I've been to are in South America. So uh, every country in South America and a bunch of them in Central America. So kind of been all through that region. But as far as living it was primarily in Brazil. Yes. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it, I think as Americans, we we kind of develop a warped perspective. And I think, you know, part of it is we can't really help it. Our, our media is so focused on America, right? We're, we are a first world country. We are one of the leaders in the, in the world economy. And so we tend to have this kind of myopic vision that is just a national type vision, right? But I know if you've lived overseas, you know what I mean. When you get out of the U.S., most of the news is international. And I think that it's just a, a very different perspective for sure. Yeah, no question. No question for me. You know, I lived in uh, Chile for a couple of years down there in South America, wonderful people down there. And one of the strongest uh, economies also per capita in South America. And, and certainly that's changed the last few years, but for me, and, and I loved uh, living there and I love, you know, learning from the people and I love learning Spanish and, and all those different things. But at the same time, you start to realize, and maybe when you come back to the U.S., you don't take for granted some of the freedoms, some of the opportunities, some of the higher living standards that we yeah. have in this country. And a lot of people don't understand that. And the other thing that always uh, inspires me, and, and this was true, I was in uh, Florida not too long ago, and I came across a lot of different entrepreneurs who had come from some of these South American countries, and they knew the opportunity for entrepreneurship and to be a business owner is so amazing here in the United States. And as immigrants, they took full advantage of that. And I think that's something that a lot of us here born and raised in the U.S. do not understand how good we have it and the opportunities. And yet you'll see some of these immigrants who come here and they don't even speak the language. They don't even know all the culture. And yet they will hit the ground running with no fear and build a successful business and I find that, uh, you know, to be a great lesson for us all of the opportunity yeah. we have here for entrepreneurship. Yeah, you know, I think it comes from the the difference in the social structure, you know, in most third world countries, uh, South America, everywhere, you're largely born into your social class. You know, yeah. it's very, very difficult to traverse social tiers down in Brazil, for example. If you're born dirt poor, man, you've got a really tough road to be able to, to pull yourself up and hit middle class, right? Or become wealthy. In the United States, there's just abundant opportunity. And I know people that have lived here all their lives don't necessarily feel that way, especially in the middle of a bit of a depression and COVID and all these things. But having lived overseas for 10 years of my life, I'm telling you, we are blessed beyond recognition here. And it's 
you can grow up in the worst area of the United States and still get a scholarship to Harvard if you work for it, if you earn your way in. You don't have those type of opportunities elsewhere. So I, I, I've always been very, very grateful of my exchange program and my military service. And I, I wasn't in the military a long time. And in fact, I was in a very short period of time. But I'm very grateful for both of those because they gave me a very different perspective on, on the world that we live in. You know, and I think the other lesson that I learned is from the people of Chile, and, and I think this is true of a lot of Latin American in general, is there's this openness, this willingness to help anybody. So when you're just like, like uh, New Yorkans, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you say that. I was I was just in New York City speaking at an event uh, this last uh, this last weekend, and so it was nice to nice to be back in the city there in Manhattan, and we caught a Jets game, but. Um, but yeah, no, it's very different in the U.S. compared to Latin America. And, and the example I'll give is when you're a, you know, you're a young gringo and you don't speak the language and just how amazing it was. So many people would help you. They would yeah. bring you into your into their home and, and give you food and without even knowing really anything about you. And I think, you know, that's one thing that in the U.S. you, you wouldn't see like that, that openness, that willingness to help people and love people. And so that, that was one great thing that I learned a lot, you know, by hanging yeah. with people in Latin America. Yeah, they're very family oriented culture, yes. you know, and many, in many ways, and I don't mean this as a, a negative thing, I mean, it's a compliment. And in many ways, they're kind of like the US was in the 50s, when there was more of a family oriented culture and more of a close knit culture and community and small town and everybody know each other and those kinds of things. That really doesn't exist much here anymore, at least not in the big cities, you got to really get into the country to kind of still have those types of roots in the US. But in South America, it's just very, very common, right? And uh, I'm still really close friends with my family down there. I may not see them for years at times, but when I'm there, it's just like we, you know, uh, we're saying hello the day before. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. So, after school, what was the first uh, entrepreneurship, you know, business that you launched, and and how did that uh, how did that happen for you? Well, I'll fast forward over the typical stuff. I went through the corporate route for a while. So I worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield for a while as a software developer and Encyclopedia Britannica and uh, raised up through the ranks there and uh, went through the whole dot-com era in the corporate world. Um, and then that kind of fell apart. And I took a couple of years off. I had been uh, pretty blessed. I had a really good salary in programming and software development. So I took a couple of years off and uh, I got fired actually. So it was the best thing that had ever happened because I probably would have still been in that world had I not been, you know, kicked out the door. And that was a great thing for me because it gave me the opportunity to just reset. Uh, and in the early 2000s, I did a bunch of land development and construction and, and stuff to that with my brothers. And of course, 2008 came along and that I lost everything. I lost millions. Uh, we were, we were set pretty good and lost it all. And to the point of when I moved back down to Brazil just to save some money and, and be close to family and all of that, uh, you know, I didn't even have a car. I was living on 500 bucks a month. It was, you know, it was a pretty rough time for a while. And at that point, I kind of came to this epiphany that if I'm going to do all this all over again, and there was no question I was, I've got kids to support, a family to support. Obviously, I'm going to make it happen. I'm a military guy, right? But 
I'm going to do it my way this time. And, and that's what really kicked everything off. I decided with certainty that I was going to build my own business that I could run anywhere in the world from a smartphone and, and really build it around my constraints. And so, you know, I started out with an SEO company and built that up to over 110 people on staff and multi-million dollar wow. company within about 18 months. Yeah. Rapid growth, man, to go from zero to 110 people in 18 months, I'm telling you, it's, it's a challenge. And so that got my taste of it. And then it's just kind of rippled through that. Uh, in the last, you know, I spent many years in the marketing automation space. I have a best-selling book on Infusionsoft and was one of the leaders in that space for many years. And in the last like five or seven years, I've really gotten back to my roots of software development. So I have always done software through this since I was a teenager. I grew up writing code in, in high school. So now that's all I do. I am, when I talk about mastery, it's because that's the way I believe in doing everything. I go really, really deep. I don't go wide, I go deep, right? And so everything I do now is constrained about software. I have five different software platform and companies that I'm partners on some. And I, rather than trying to go out and become a better marketer or focus on the marketing effort, I partner up with a marketer and build them a software platform. And, and that's the way I do it. That allows me to stay in my lane, go deeper in what I do, leverage the fact that I have an offshore development team and the resources and the experience to pull it off and bolt in six-figure income streams for somebody that has a great influence and exposure, but doesn't want to doesn't want to mess with software. Would love to have their own software and bolt in the profit, but doesn't want to deal with the drama. And so I've just, I've learned to stay in my lane and, and go really deep in what I do. And that's, that's, I think, a real key for all of our listeners out there in the audience that are building a business and you get excited about doing all these different things, the sooner you can be really focused on providing, you know, a product or service that's a solution for a very specific problem and niche driven, maybe even a sub niche, the sooner you can dominate in that area, the sooner you can really see a lot of results. Now, a lot of business owners, you know, look at software and I think they understand how important it is, but they see a lot of you know, unknown. And sometimes it's a black hole that you keep on throwing money at without getting any results. What are some of the keys, you know, for a business owner to understand when they're investing in a software or developing it that they should know before they even begin that process? You know, I always tell everybody the first sign of it, of intelligence is to be able to admit your own ignorance. Mm -hmm. And just because you think software is simple or you've seen it and it looks simple, it's not. And you no. need to respect the other industries just like you'd like them to respect you. You know, it's not easy to come out here and do anything and be successful at it. So the biggest failures that I see with people is they kind of dismiss software or they think it's really simple to implement and that they can, oh, they're just going to go hire a team themselves and do it. And they really just, you know, fail miserably. So for example, Learnistic, my app, platform is all about mobile learning and publishing your own courses and everything through a mobile platform on Apple and Google and all of that. Well, I see people all the time say, well, I can just do my own app. I can get somebody in India to code it up and this and that. And they, and they just trivialize it. And then I say, yeah, go ahead. See how that works out. You know, you're going to spend 30, 50, a hundred thousand dollars and okay, you get it done, but 
then you quickly realize that an app platform is never done because the new phones come out, the new technology comes out, the bugs hit, you've got all the support nightmares. Now you've got to go further and further and further down this rabbit hole. And next thing you know, you're not spending $30,000 on an app, you're spending 50 to 100 and then another 50 to 75 minimum to have decent programmers on staff in order to keep up with it, right? And I think that's the biggest confusion is people think that they can just put software in a box or they think that they can manage software because they can manage other things. And if you've read any books on software management, they don't call it herding cats for nothing, right? (laughs) I mean, us programmers are a unique breed and it really kind of takes a programmer to understand a programmer. And I think with businesses, is they have, especially entrepreneurs that want to bolt in software, they have an idea of what they want, but they're not really good at conveying that idea in a way that a programmer can hear what they're saying and go out and replicate it. I think there's such a major disconnect in the communication between a business person and a programmer that that single single disconnect is probably the single biggest reason for failure on software projects. And I've seen so many of them. We have dozens of case studies of people on our platform that have spent upwards of $200,000 trying to build their own, just to rip it up, throw it away and just say, you know what, we'll let you do it. Been there, done that, Troy. (laughs) Guys, the most important thing I've seen in software development, and if you want to have a successful company that's valuable, you have to have you know, some kind of app, some type of software, some type of technology that makes your products and service easier to, you know, get the result that your customer or client wants. But for me, the most important thing is not all the development of that, but it's who, who are you trusting that can actually get that job done? And that's the biggest, you know, obstacle is finding who no, it's not the yeah. how, it's the who. Who knows how to do this? Who has the track record? Who can stay on you know, the time frame and, and budget? And that's why yep. you got to work with someone like Troy or you will get into massive problems and you'll fall into this black hole of just investing money mindlessly and you'll never get your software you know, where you need it to be. So what are some of the uh, things that Troy, you and your team do to kind of take those first steps when someone's trying to build out that software um, that they should be aware of and thinking about, you know, before they go see someone like you and your team. Yeah. Well, we don't do it as a service for people. I, I partner up. Yeah. I partner up with a couple of people a year and that's really it. Uh, Just a couple of large influencers that already have their big audiences and, and know that they can bolt in a six figure income stream with software. If they just have the right tool and right partner, those are the types of things that I do. I develop my own software for myself. And so for me, it's not worth it from a, from a cost standpoint to go build someone for someone as a service, but partnering with the right person that uh, has a, has their influence and their own you know audience to, to fulfill that's a different type of, of ball game but I'll tell you you know what I've learned is that you have to be very smart in how you build your team we do not have the typical development team I have a team in Brazil it's very specific reasons why I have it there first of all you know most teams are in India and the code quality that comes out of there is typically, and I'm not saying all, but in typical, in general, it's pretty poor quality because you don't know what you're getting. 
And many times you've got people that are working for three, four, five bucks an hour, rebilling at $20 an hour through an agency and pretending to not work for an agency, not telling you they work for an agency. And it's just a, it's just a coding farm. And you don't even know who's coding because you think you're talking to, you know, Manpreet or something. And next thing you know, it's somebody else that's just pretending to be them on the other side. Right. And that is really, really common. Um, and so you really have to be careful. And business owners don't really know the quality of what they're getting. They can only judge the quality of software by what they see. And so it may look nice, but when all of a sudden you put thousands of users on it and it doesn't scale and it breaks and it has all kinds of bugs and problems, they don't understand because they're not developers, the quality issues, right? And so my approach is completely different. I speak fluent Portuguese. I've lived down in Brazil for 10 years. The exchange rate with Brazil is really in our favor in the US. And so, yeah. And so I built a team there. We pay top dollar to our guys. I have one of the guys on my team, the head of our architecture. This is a guy that graduated in the top, you know, 0.01% of his class, like the top 10 people, period, in his entire university. He was interviewed recently on, uh, you know, for TV and radio for just how successful he was in college. I mean, that's the type of talent we go after down there. And we have great packages with our teams and, you know, we have are putting together profit sharing programs with them and all kinds of stuff because we want to really build a strong foundation so that we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel with the team. And this is the kind of stuff you can't do if you're just going to try to outsource a project. You, you don't have that ability. And so you're always going to be dealing with like C tier or you hope you're dealing with C tier, you're going to be paying C tier rates and you hope, and they might be F tier, <laughs> you Uh-oh. know, people. So yeah, you that just have to sound good. <laughs> oh man, I've seen it all. I have seen it all. Trust me. And um, I've gone through, and just to give you an idea in the last like seven, eight years, I've gone through over 500 people uh, on in developers that have worked for me at one shape or another. So, you know, you see a lot and uh yeah, it's, there's some crazy stuff out there. You really got to be aware of. My best advice to somebody that's a, a businessman is look for somebody that you know you can partner up with and, and find an equitable deal that way. Because trying to do it on yourself, if you don't have that background, you know, not the best way to go. That's a very good point. That's what I've seen successful too, is, is we built different software platforms with our companies, kind of having you know, a, a head person who understands that they might not know how to do everything, but they know who can and, and can actually manage those projects for you. Because if you're trying to manage the project and you don't even speak the right coding language, you know, it's not going to work out very well. But if you have that trusted person, an equitable deal, like you're saying, that's definitely a great way to go about it. Now, I know some of the software that you, you know, have developed, some of it uh, is actually related to a CRM. How does your CRM work and what kind of businesses can benefit you know, by using your CRM, Troy. Yeah, absolutely. We have a platform called Berserker Mail and Berserker Mail is a partnership with myself and Ben Settle. And Ben Settle is one of the top email marketers in the world. And we partnered up on that venture. And it's really an email platform created by marketers for marketers, right? We created the platform we want to use. And it is a very, very solid and reliable CRM, but it's also really a 
marketer's dream because it's all optimized around speed and efficiency. You know, in our platform, you can write an email with two clicks of a mouse, it's sent, right? As opposed to going through some of these other platforms and it's like, you know, 23 clicks later, you're still trying to hit a preview and see this and do that. I write, you know, I have five different companies. I have four different coaching groups that I run. I'm writing emails, probably 15 to 25 emails a, a week. I send out daily emails, sometimes four or five emails in a day. And it's got to be around speed. I'm a businessman. And so everything we do in Berserker Mail is optimized for speed and efficiency. It's for the professional marketer that doesn't want to be screwing around, wasting their time. They want to get something done. They want to get it done at the most effective way possible. And they understand that deliverability and inboxing are the most important things. They're not trying to create pretty fluffy mommy blog type emails. They're out there to get their message delivered and to build a relationship with their audience. And so that's why we call it Berserker Mail. It's about building those Berserker fans, right? And um, it's the CRM side of it is kind of light right now, but my background is all in marketing automation and CRM. So it's already got a campaign builder and tagging and automations and all of those things. Uh, you, you can create your own drag and drop web forms and everything that the average business person needs and a lot more features uh, in development and coming. We just rolled it out in September. So it's, it's quite new right now, but uh, growing and very, very stable. So we're we're having fun with it. And most important is it something that I run my businesses on. It's what Ben runs his businesses on. And so you know, it's our legacy. The product then. Yeah. Yeah. That's and you know, like, man, nobody's going to be on top of the team more than me to make sure everything's working perfectly because my businesses rely and depend on it. And I think that's a very fresh and contrarian perspective, right? You know, go out there and look at some of the other platforms and I won't use names, but are they really built by marketers that are using it or are they just a platform that's advertising on TV to you know try to get more business right it's a it's a very different ball game and i think that we're not for everybody we have some very stringent rules and you know we're not we're not trying to cater to everybody we are for the professional marketer that values their time Mm, I like it. Now, there's a lot of different uh, marketers that have different perspectives on email marketing. Obviously, a decade ago, it was really one of the most important marketing methodologies. And today in 2021, you know, you hear some people talk about email marketing being dead and others talking about how incredibly effective it still is. Now, I was reading actually on your website some of your testimonials, and you are actually known, even though you don't always say it, as a very good copywriter. So I think that's really what it comes down to, to successful email marketing. What are some of the keys to, you know, having high open rates with your emails? Because that's really the key, right? If they don't open it, if they're not intrigued, they're not going to, you know, learn more and, and take steps and take action and move through the value ladder of your business. What are some of those keys to getting those open rates up and having successful email marketing campaigns? Obviously, you've made it easier but what are some of those keys that people should be aware of? Yeah. Well, the first thing, as I said, I, that I would say is forget open rates. Open rates are okay. completely unreliable and they're getting worse and worse um, in terms of industry reliability. Apple just did a bunch of stuff that changes it. There's um, entire you know, Android phones don't even trigger opens when people read them on there. There's all kinds of browsers and, and web-based reading software that blocks open. So 
people like to glum on to a, a metric. And so they, they worry about that, but I focus on what Ben teaches and what I teach and what we both practice is daily email relationship building and really building your own world. Everybody that's on my list knows me. They know about me. They know about my family, my proclivities, my interests. They are, they have a personal close relationship, right? And that is what I am. I, you know, I was kind of chuckling when you said copywriter, right? It's a good friend of mine, Kevin, that wrote that. And he is an ace copywriter, one of the oh. best in the world. I love the guy. Um, but I'm more of a storyteller than I am a copywriter. And I think that that is a good thing because someone that's listening to this, it can be hard to become a copywriter. I don't consider myself a copywriter, but some of the best copywriters out there do. And the reason for that is I'm really good with story selling. And I think story selling is something that we can all learn. It's very easy. It's natural. It's in our culture. It's the way we were have evolved over millions of years of learning to tell stories and just being able to tie that into business and build that relationship. So if you really want to focus on a single metric, to me, it's revenue. How much revenue is your email making you, which is really easy to know. You send somebody to a sales page, you know how many result, how many sales you got. And if you want to increase that, email more frequently, improve the quality of your email and improve the quality of your relationship with your list. Unfortunately, there's no shortcuts here. And, you know, everybody likes to, to focus on the funnel hacking and all these kind of, you know, I'm going to do this funnel and this and that. It's a lot easier just to learn how to build a relationship with your list and just send out email. It's something, you know, it, it's, it's so easy that people don't believe it's true. Uh, but my, you know, my partner, Ben, runs a seven-figure newsletter just off of email. Um, you know, I run multiple businesses. It's all based on email. Neither one of us even have social media accounts. I'm not even on Facebook. He's not either. Uh, neither one of us does paid advertising through Facebook or any of that. So I always kind of chuckle when people say that that email is dying. I'm I'm happy they feel that way because it it makes me a lot of money. So I'm I'm quite content that they think it's dead. <laughs> well said. Thank you for that, Troy. So guys, let's uh, unpack some of what Troy just shared with us. Number one, we've got to tell stories, right? Your emails can't just be boring how tos. You've got uh, just a few seconds, a few words in the, in the subject line and at the beginning of the email to capture someone's curiosity and attention. And there's nothing more powerful than doing that than by sharing a story. So a big, big uh, key right there, share that story. Email daily. You know, how many times do people say, oh, you don't want to offend your audience and email you know, too much? No, wrong. You want to email them every single day and then you're emailing them not always with the intent to sell, not always with the intent to move them forward through your value ladder, but to build a relationship is what Troy is saying. And I believe that to be absolutely true. And then again, it's not all business. He's talking about, you know, here's some of the personal things going on in my life so that they connect on a personal level with you. There's emotion. Maybe he's talking about, uh, you know, his travels, uh, some of his hobbies, family, friends, that type of thing. So those are the keys build that relationship, email daily, tell stories, amazing value bombs dropped by Troy with that. Now, everyone listening here, whether they're a marketer or obviously they're an entrepreneur, they're, they're involved in marketing, which is so important to your business these days. What are the next steps? How can they connect with you and learn and harness all the wisdom and, and years of success you've had in marketing so that they can you know, follow your roadmap to success instead of the school of hard knocks trying to figure everything out. 
boy, isn't that the truth? You know, it's just, uh, it's so much easier to just buy experience. <laughs> you know, you can, you can invest in somebody else's experience really, really affordably. So, and the price to buy experience for me is really simple. It's just an email address. If you go to troyb.me, that will send you off to my website. The, the website is actually troybroussard.com, but you know, Broussard's a little tough name to spell. So just go to troyb.me and that'll send you to my website and you'll see that I give away uh, my first issue of Memoirs of Mastery. It's a monthly print book that I do every single month and uh, I give it away in a digital form uh, for an opt-in. So if you want to plug into the conversation, troyb.me. And is that just the letter B? Yes. Yep. The letter B, T-R-O-Y-B is in Broussard dot M-E. Got it, guys. So go to TroyB.me, connect up with Troy, get on his email list, and then you can go join him in that journey of becoming a great marketer of harnessing software and technology. And for me, a lot of that technology is key performance indicators. If there aren't different analytics that you're measuring, and of course, what uh, Troy said at the very top, hey, measure those revenues based on your email marketing, and that will give you a really good idea of what's working and what's not. So once again, everyone, if you're listening, if you're on the YouTube channel, wherever you're at, go to Troy, T-R-O-Y-B dot me, M-E, connect up with him, take that journey. Troy. I always tell people the most important thing, if you learn and got a lot of value out of this episode, which I guarantee you did, the most important thing, please take action. Don't just yeah. listen, you know, passively. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. And then forget and not actually implement what you just learned. Implement what you learned by connecting up with TroyB.me and take some action. Troy, you've got the last word about what everyone needs to have in mind as we move into 2022. You know, 2022, I will just leave you with this. Everybody talks about peak performance. Peak performance, there's only two skills you need to master, focus and discipline. That's it. So get focused and develop a new habit to create that discipline. What I would recommend is getting up an hour earlier. I start my day anywhere from 3 to 4 a.m. every single day, get more done before most people even wake up for the day. So focus and discipline, and uh, that will lead you into a great 2022. Beautifully said. Troy B. Me. Troy, thank you so much for being on the Seven Figures Club podcast. And your words of wisdom today are going to help a lot of our entrepreneurs Take that next step to join the Seven Figures Club. Thanks much, Leo, for having me. I enjoyed it. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.